should I stay in this relationship, leave this? Should I start this job or should I stay where I am? These are big life decisions. These shape the next chapter massively, you know, really do. Um, and what tends to happen is we stay in our head and we go round and round in circles. I come and speak with you and you say, stay. You know, I go and speak with my other friend over there and she says, leave, leave. I go and speak with another person over here and they say, stay. And then I speak with this person, they say, leave. And I'm all confused now. I'm going round and round. And the only thing I'm not connecting with is that wisdom that's in me. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hello and welcome to another episode of the High Performance Health Podcast with me, your host, Angela Foster. Today, I have invited a co-host to the show. It's a dear friend of mine, Colin Hiles, who is one of the world's top mindset coaches. And this is quite a raw episode, really, where... Um, we just have a chat. We talk about the huge um, changes that the world is going through at the moment. And Colin really shares some very powerful strategies that I think will help you move through these difficult times and make the shifts that we all need to. We are literally experiencing one of the biggest changes in modern times, um, really in recent history. And Colin shares how lots of people are actually grieving right now. Um, for the loss of what we really took for granted in our lives. And there's very little certainty at the moment. We're still in the middle of lockdown. It's mid-February, um, six weeks into the new year now. We have had yet more change and lots of our freedoms restricted or taken away. And there are so many unknowns, really, with nothing clear on the horizon. But hopefully there is always... I think there's a really good expression that there is always darkness before the dawn. And hopefully we emerge out of this um, stronger, more resilient and having a more beautiful experience than ever before. We talk in this episode about the, um, the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly and the yellow mush that's in the cocoon in the middle. And maybe that's what we're going through at the moment. We're just in that sort of messy middle is what... Robin Sharma calls it, any change is difficult in the beginning. It's messy in the middle and it's beautiful at the end. So we need to move through these times. And I think we all need as much help as we possibly can. Um, as I say, this is quite a raw interview. I share a lot because Colin really does a coaching session on me in terms of my experience when I left the legal profession and suffered with postpartum depression, which then went on to... Um, chronic depressive disorder um, and I was prescribed bipolar medication and it took me many many years to really get my mental and physical health back on track and so we talk about moving through that process we talk about the importance of status we talk about coping mechanisms and how much autonomy we feel and also just how to deal with uncertainty we also chat about the importance of tribe and relatedness and connectedness with the people around us. And we're all in this together at the moment. Um, it's a shared common human experience, although we are all experiencing it in a slightly different way. And so in this first episode with Colin, there is a second one that follows. We chat about how we can really move through this time of change. And I hope that this interview, um, I hope that it benefits you. It, as I say, it's a 
It's one of those interviews that I do feel um, I've shared quite a bit, but I've done that really with the hope and intention that it can help as many people as possible. So if this helps you or you think it might help someone that you know, then I would ask that you share it with them. Um, and that also just helps me get the message out to a wider audience and reach more people. And while we're on that topic, actually, um, there is still time. We haven't closed the competition just yet to enter to win my 90-day Live Younger Longer Blueprint with the world's most advanced DNA test thrown in for good measure. So you can still win that. All you need to do if you're enjoying this podcast is to leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss another episode and take a screenshot of that review and either tag me on social media at Angela S. Foster or email me. That's um, at Angela at AngelaFosterPerformance.com and we will enter you in because we will be drawing the lucky winner in the next week or so. So you've got to be in it to win it. So um, if you can give us a good positive review, that would be amazing and we will enter you in. But don't forget to either tag me at Angela S. Foster or at the very least email me Angela at AngelaFosterPerformance.com so that we can enter you in um, to win it. So let me introduce you to Colin Hiles. Um, you're going to really enjoy this and get to know him. He's incredible. He's extremely well-read and has worked with many of the top CEOs in um, the kind of top 250 FTSE companies and also accountancy and management consultants firms. So he's got some very, very helpful insights, which I hope you will be able to translate and use into your own experience and um, really help you through the difficulties that we're all experiencing at the moment. So let's introduce you now to Colin. I'm doing something a little bit different on this week's podcast for the first time. I'm actually going to be a co-host because I've brought on my friend and one of the top mindset coaches worldwide, Colin Hiles, who's actually going to be joining me for this and a few episodes. Um, and we're going to be co-hosting them together. And what prompted this initially was when I was chatting to Colin about what a difficult world, difficult place the world is in at the moment. And I think there is unity in this experience that we all have, because in one way or another, the pandemic is really affecting us, um, whether that's from a health perspective, whether it's from an emotional perspective. For many people, it's from a financial perspective. And Colin and I were just talking before we were recording about the fact that there is grief occurring at the moment in many forms. And grief for maybe what we've what we've lost, and also this, this concept of not really knowing what's happening and when things are going to get better. And so I'm excited to have you here. First of all, a huge welcome, Colin. I'm so excited we're doing this together. Thank you. Um, and so really, this is going to be a more informal episode where we're going to chat and share ideas about how we can help people move through this difficult time. Um, we're recording this in January so it's a great time of year where people are really looking ahead. And most times we are filled with positive expectation. I think this year, certainly in the UK, we move straight into lockdown. I know that um, people I know in Canada are having a very similar experience soon after us and, and many countries across the world. So um, we, Colin and I were just talking before about when you change and you're grieving for what you've lost. And I was sharing and talking about my own experience when I left the world of corporate law and decided at that time to 
I, w- I wasn't sure where I was going, actually. I was just going to become a full-time mum for a bit. And I turned my back on my, on my career, which I was successful in. And that was when um, I was already pretty depressed, but things really, really hit, hit hard. And it, and it felt like a real wrecking ball at the time, a bit like this pandemic is for many of us. And Colin and I were talking through his model of um, scare and how we can use that to better understand our feelings and perceptions and move through this. So, Colin, you were just uh, we were we were talking there about the first the S and this concept of status. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Sure. So, and this is David Rocks, by the way. So it's not mine. It's David Rocks, and I've tweaked it slightly. He calls it scarf. Uh, and David Rock is a neuroscientist and definitely someone worth following. So he uses scarf. I use his scare. I've just changed the F to an E just so scare is easier to remember because when we're scared, we, we typically don't feel good. Uh, and when we're at the opposite of that, we feel so much better. Right. And it's easy to be scared in this pandemic world that we're in at this moment in time, rightly so. So going through them all. So the S stands for status and Status is really your importance compared to others. So if we go back to you, you know, there as a, as a partner, um, your status is quite clear. You know, you're a partner, which means you're going to be above, you know, what are some of the labels that people were given below you? Yeah, so you might have an executive right? Um, and then you have like a senior associate and then an associate right. and then you have a junior and then a trainee. Yeah, there's a, there's a big ranking right. system. Yeah, a big ranking system as there is in any organisation. And so your status is linked to that label. I'm a partner. I am a partner. Mm. So if I bumped into you, okay, and I didn't know you, and you say I'm a partner, very quickly I know where you are. And if Mm. you're above me, then you're of higher status. So every organisation has status. But often we link our identity to our labels. So who are, who are you? Oh, I'm a lawyer in a, in a firm. Ah, great. Okay, great. I kind of know where you are now, right? So we, we have these labels that we use. So that's the first one, status. And so often, often when we're going through change like you, that you went through, can I just ask also, how long was it from, you know, experiencing what you experienced as a lawyer and that burnout before you started to get a sense of this is what I want to do now? This is, and what would you say is your new, new label now? You would say, I am a what? So now I'm a health and performance coach and and obviously host of the High Performance Health podcast and soon to be author. But I, (laughs) it's interesting because when you talk about, yeah, I suppose it's funny, isn't it? It's that type A personality, right? For me, it's about achieving. And it's interesting when you say that, because when you talk about a loss, for me, that was, and I think for many women listening, Mm. it was really difficult to go from somebody who had this, you know, this really like in many respects enjoyable stimulating life as Mm. always after that really and still am to then not even people didn't even know my name right I was just Ollie's mummy (laughs) you can't go much uh you can't lose your identity much quicker than that right suddenly it's about the child and I think a lot of women struggle with this is that when you're pregnant you are Mm. now even put on a higher pedestal suddenly Mm. it's like oh my god she's a mother you know she's pregnant she's soon to be a mother she's pregnant we must take care of her the baby I found that even men felt able to touch me in a Mm. way that they never normally would right it was almost Mm. like everyone had this open consent to do it 
And then all of a sudden you have that baby and it's like, right, you're out the way. Yeah. <laughs> Let me come and see the baby. And now you're just Dolly's mummy. Look yeah. at this. He's amazing. He's perfect. And uh, yeah, you, there's a massive drop right on every level, I think. Yes. Yes. And so, and so moving from that to that. So how long was it, how long is it, was it then before you started to take on the new label of I'm a high performance coach, you know, a, yeah, that was a long time because I then just struggled and battled and had made this decision that I, as a lawyer, couldn't spend time with my kids. So I wanted to have that time with them, mm. but I was really struggling with the depression. So then it wasn't until after it hit sort of for a third time, because I managed to get myself back on track between mm. my second and third child. It was after my daughter that literally almost straight after the C-section, mm. I just this cascade, having gone from being happy, tumbled. So she, they were four years apart mm. that, between my eldest and my youngest, had three right. of them within four and a half years. Yeah. And then it was then a really tough two years before I then ended up uh, in hospital with pneumonia. And that was, that was the defining moment. That was the point at which I, and that's why I think finding your purpose is so, so important in life because mm. at that point, you know, I had felt and, and, you know, long-time listeners of the podcast probably heard me say this, and it is crazy, but this is the mindset I was in at the time, was that my children would be better without me, that I shouldn't be present in their life. And that was the only reason I was having suicidal thoughts, really. Mm. I was finding it, and I thought I probably am the worst person to be around. I used to take my eldest, you know, an hour and a half to two hours to get me out of bed in the morning. So how I shouldn't be present in them. And then the universe seemed, and we were talking about, we can come back to it, can't we? The law of attraction. Mm -hmm. But then it seemed like the universe was delivering that because when the kids got sick, I got very sick. Mm -hmm. And obviously at, at one point I was taking Tostal because they thought I had lung cancer and the CT scan showed that it was just the damage from the double mm -hmm. pneumonia. Right. So in hospital, there was a sense of peace. I do believe that it was the very high fevers that I was having created almost this blissful state of meditation. There was a peace. I think it was like lucid, there was a lucidity to it that I haven't experienced outside of that. Mm. Um, and very different from what, you know, I don't know whether you'd get this effect with drugs. I'm not a drug taker, but certainly not with alcohol, but it was a very peaceful experience. I think meditation is the only time I've really experienced this. Mm. And um, I realized that I wanted to see my kids grow up and that became the most important thing in my life. Mm. But then it was like with that, then it was like, well, how can I become the healthiest, most vibrant person I can be? Because, and that was like, that's when I realized I'm gonna have to look at my physical and my mental health. So I'd mm. always been quite fit. I'd always eaten healthily, but now it was like, this is the both are going to have to come together. Yeah. And that's when I became studying it. So for initially for me, it was about me and having that life with my children, which was the original reason for leaving law was to spend time with them. Mm. And then it just got bigger. It was like, well, actually, if I can come through this from, you know, really like at the, the lowest you can get almost and come back, how can I help other people do the same? Mm. And then it's, it's become a much more like it's just become like a mission. It's a part of me. You know, I get frustrated, same as everyone else sometimes, you know, with things in life and work and everything else. But I'll always come back to it because I almost feel like I was given that second chance. Now it's my job to help others do the same. So mm. anything that I can share that will help somebody who's in a difficult place, uh, I would like to share to help them move through it if I can. Yeah. Look, wow, there's a lot in what you've just said, a hell of a lot <laughs> in what you've just said, right? So let's try and unpack and unpick a bit um, for, for the listener to see whether or not there's something to take away from that, right? 
Um, and I want to get clear. So, so um, did you leave law and then have your, your children um, or did you, you know, have your first child, then go back to law and then back to law and back to law. And then you had, what, what no. was the, so I had my first child and then I took maternity leave Yeah. and then I fell pregnant with my second child. And by the time I, due, I was due to go back, I was now already three months pregnant with my second child Right. and they were trying to get me to come back. And I knew I was going to go off again within six months. So at that point I was like, I'm going to take a bit of a break. And it wasn't, I wasn't leaving. And then I really struggled with my mental health mm. all the way through that pregnancy mm. and beyond. And then I didn't go back because I was just in such a bad place at that point. Yeah, got it. All right, I understand. Okay, so let let let's finish. Let let's continue the the sort of the going through scare with you as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Okay, before we get into this 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 middle phase here, the transition phase to new identity. Is that all right? If we do that. Yeah, that's all right. Fine. Great. Okay. So now, so did you tick the status? You know. Um, kind of need as a lawyer yes right your importance to others was quite quite clearly shown you're a partner very big firm and all that went with that right the c is for certainty this is the ability to predict the future and anticipate change okay Okay. so think about what we don't have a lot of at the moment for many people at the moment right so the need for certainty the need to be certain very difficult so as a partner you have am i right in saying a much better chance of determining you know um, what business what strategy what you go after how you go after it i mean you are you're part and parcel of that right that's part and parcel of what you do as a leader Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you've, yeah. You, and you've obviously written business plans as part of it. Yes. Otherwise, you can't make partner. Yeah. Great. Let's look at the A for scare autonomy. Autonomy is a sense of control over events and the need to feel that we have some kind of choice. Mm-hmm. Right. So, as a partner, you're autonomous. Correct. You're autonomous. So, we, we tick that one as well. Yes. Right. Mm. Now, relatedness, this is the R of scare. Relatedness is that sense of safety and belonging to some kind of tribe or social group. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So I had lots of friends from law school and we all got on really well and they were very similar to me. So in in, in commonality with other lawyers and mm. any lawyers that listen to this will know this, there is a very work hard, play hard mentality that mm. I loved uh, yep. And also they're really mostly into fitness as well. Yep. And so, yeah, there was like pushing yourself to the max. So, yep. yeah, that was I felt definitely relatable with those people. Exactly. They could understand you. You could understand them. You got one another pretty quickly. So there was so you had that. All right. Now, the F is for fairness, um, fairness. So fairness is really fair exchange between people that that and and this is a really fascinating one and i'd recommend that uh, the listener go onto youtube and put in fairness study with animals and you will see like dogs and you'll see monkeys um, i'll give you the quick one on monkey that you'll probably see so there's these monkeys in these cages a so monkey a monkey b and the researcher gives this monkey here a task and the task is basically they have to pick up a stone and give the stone to the researcher when they do that they get a reward and the reward that this monkey gets is a piece of cucumber and the monkey's very happy very happy monkey b over here um gives the rock but then gets a grape 
right? <laughs> so Monkey A looks at this and kind of goes, oh, this is good. This is good. Goes and goes and gets the next rock, gives it to the researcher. And the researcher gives another piece of cucumber. Now was very happy with cucumber, but now seeing that monkey get a grape, literally throws the cucumber at the researcher in disgust. How funny. So then the researcher goes over here, rock again, grape again. Monkey gets quite excited again. This could be at this time, does the rock, gets another piece of cucumber, now throws it. Now, what happens eventually is the monkey quits. And you can see dogs do this as well. They show how if you, you know, say, give us your paw, give us your paw, get a little reward, give us your paw, give it not such a good reward. You start to see this. This isn't fair. And the dog literally lies on the ground and says, I'm not doing your, pair, your paw game anymore. Fairness is deeply wired as part of our neurology. You know, so if we don't feel like things are fair, that's not fair we can get quite upset quite quickly. Yeah, which is why children inherently say this from a really young age. That's not fair, right? It's one of their first sentences. That's not, That's fair. not fair. That's not fair, exactly. And so, um, so scare, right? So, um, I, sorry, I use equity, he uses fairness. So, um, so for me, the E is for equity, which is the same as fairness. He uses scarf, David Rock uses scarf. So now you think of, what that gives you in terms of feelings, all of those, mm -hmm. right? It's a, it's a, you have a, a, a sort of a, a, a sort of a, a sense of foundation. So we've got able, let's go over this, so people, because we've got status, status, which is your importance compared to others. Yeah. Certainty. Certainty. Oh, I was going to say control. Okay, which is very similar which and is autonomy. predicting the future and anticipating change. You've got autonomy, which is a sense of control over events and the need to feel like you have a choice. Mm -hmm. Relatedness, safety and belonging to a tribe or a social group. And equity or fairness, which is fair exchange between people. So while we're on the topic of enhancing mindset and lowering anxiety and improving mood, I thought I'd just interrupt today's show quickly to tell you about two amazing things that I've been using to really upgrade my cognitive health. And the first is many of you know that I am a very keen meditator. And I love a form of meditation known as Ziva meditation. It is mantra based. Um, it's a form of Vedic meditation. And Ziva Online are actually offering some incredible free resources to help people through these difficult times in the pandemic. And so if you want to dip your toe in or if you want to learn more about that style of meditation, then just head over to bit.ly forward slash Ziva Online and they have some amazing free resources that you can check out. So that's bit.ly forward slash Ziva Online. And the second thing is actually lion's mane. Now, lion's mane is amazing. The research shows that it helps to enhance nerve growth factor and BDNF, both of which are kind of like miracle growth for your brain and help to support the growth of new neurons and strengthen existing cells and nerve cells. So pretty amazing stuff. I've been experimenting with lion's mane twice a day now for the last six to eight weeks. I've seen some incredible um, uptick in my REM sleep. 
um, also in terms of concentration levels and I love to take it in tincture form it's the easiest way and it's also very bioavailable so I simply just drop it under the tongue and hold it there for sort of 15 to 30 seconds to really let it absorb into my bloodstream and I like the one by Wild Kingdom Extracts because it has no um, chemicals or hexanes used in extraction. It's extremely pure. And they also plant a tree when they process your order. So um, Neil Tenier, the founder of, of Wild Kingdom Extracts, has actually given listeners of this podcast a cool 15% off. So to check it out, go to wildkingdomextracts.com and enter code Angela at checkout and you will get a cool 15% off. So that's wildkingdomextracts.com and enter code Angela at checkout to get 15% off. Now let's get back to my interview with Colin. So at the moment, people have, they may or may not have lost their status. We don't know, but they definitely, no one has certainty because we don't know what's happening. Right. We've lost our autonomy because actually those decisions are taken from us. At a moment's notice, suddenly your kids aren't going to school. Yeah. You can't go out of your house. Yeah. Uh, there's police cars up and down the road. Relatedness, we don't have social contact very much. So it's just over a screen. Mm. And so we're not in and amongst our tribes. And mm. there is definitely a sense of grief because I've noticed that, like particularly thinking about, grandparents not seeing children grandchildren that just seems like a tremendous loss because they don't have that long but as you say relatedness we're not in our tribes and then equity I don't think you can work out whether it's fair or unfair is it it just is but it feels hard yeah well some would say it's not fair and um, this isn't fair you know making that change isn't fair like Mm. if you walk down this isn't so much now but if you walk down I'm in Chiswick here at the moment if you walk down the high street you go that shop's open but that little shop's not allowed to be, but mm. they'll sell similar things. That's not fair. No. That's not fair. That doesn't, exactly. you know, just because they have their, their, on that list, there's one thing that they sell, but they have all everything else and the whole shop opens and you can, I don't want to give any names here, but the whole shop opens and you can buy lots of things. So you've got that poor little, you know, solo entrepreneur with the shop there that has to close and probably will go out of business. Mm. 15% of businesses don't know they're going to survive according to some stats I've just read. And then you've got that big, massive, great, big, you know, FTSE company. They're allowed to stay open. That doesn't seem very fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Starbucks can stay open for takeaways. Yeah. Um, so how do we, how do we use that then for people to move through? And I, I'm happy like we're, it's almost like a mini coaching session, isn't it? To use myself as the example, because we yeah. can reverse engineer. I've obviously unknowingly done this, uh, but how people can move through these. Yeah. Um, well, so if we go back to you, so we're ticking many, many boxes, right? When you're a partner, we're ticking many boxes. And then, you know, you ultimately say goodbye to all of that. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. you tell me, typically, to be human is to opt out of something mentally, emotionally before we do physically. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like if I want to leave a company, I've made my decision, I'm going to leave way before or typically before I go in and say I'm now leaving. Okay. Yes, yes. So at what point in that journey, at what child did you realize I can't go back? I just, I know I can't go back. I might be not telling people this at this moment in time. I might even be telling my husband. Okay. But I know I cannot go back. Where was that? That's interesting. The time I was most depressed. So when William, my middle one was, was tiny before I had my daughter, 
I was then looking at transitioning because I thought it was going to be more manageable with the children to becoming a judge. And I was actively speaking about how, because I'd been qualified enough, enough years and practicing enough years to become a judge. Mm. And that was what I was going to do. And then when I had my daughter and I realized how much I had to do with three children. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if I actively felt I was making the choice, but I definitely yeah, became very depressed. But I think part of this does have a hormonal impact here mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. with, with postnatal. Um, but I guess, yeah, it would be after my third child, I realized, actually, I'm now leaving. That's it. I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. And that's often yeah. where the grief then sets in. Yeah. And that hit hard. And that hits hard. Yeah. Especially and as when you, you have... say, there's no so certainty. Then I don't know where I'm going with any of it. You can't tick many of the others. So who am I now? Status. Who am I now? I don't really know mm. who I am now. Am I just a mum now? You know, no, and I say just a mum. I do not mean to be disrespectful. I think if there was paid, if there were, you know, if, if mum was a paid job, it would, it would be paid the highest. Okay. Mm. There's nothing more challenging than being a mum, for sure. So I don't mean that to be disrespectful in any way. But when you go from where you were to that, it's very easy to make the compare. What kind of impact am I going to have now? You know, what What difference can I make now? Who am I now? And it takes a while for that rebalancing to realize. And it sounds like you started to get that sense when you were in hospital that actually, actually, this is really what I want to do now. You know, I've got to get myself fit and healthy. I've got to change me. And by the way, I want to come back to it because you asked a really good question. And often, you know, everything sort of starts from something, a trigger in some some way. And a damn good question can be enough. How can I get myself back to full health and start helping others do the same? Great question. Whatever questions you ask, the brain goes and searches for the answer. And a how question is a really good question because it forces a seeking external to us. It says, go out and find that that you don't know at the moment. Mm. And it's funny how the universe teases and tests you a little bit along that process, right? Though, Because I made that decision. How can I get better? And immediately within, so at this point, um, they were they were they thought they were going to have to intubate me. So it looked like I was going to go into the intensive care. And they, I know that they told me you're neutropenic, your white blood cell count is low, I'm having oxygen drips, all these things. The moment I make the decision, it changes my physiology. Within 48 hours, my blood work changes, and I respond to the antibiotics, even though they knew that most of this, half of this, was viral. Yeah. And at that point, that that decision, what was it you said? How um, yeah, how can I do this? Yeah, how can I, you know, get myself well? Or I can't. Yeah. That so word. then, I, and then when I came out of hospital, it was like, right, how can I get really well? The first thing I did was go and see a functional medicine doctor. I started mm. seeking out, like, who's going to know me better than a doctor that's going to prescribe? Yes. And the, it's almost like you get a second knock, isn't it? It's like that hero's journey on any movie you watch. So mm. what happens then? Then I've got to go and have like ox, oxygen assessments in these tanks that they sit you stand you in in hospital and there's someone that's shouting at you making you breathe out to see like what asthma you've got as a result all these things and um during that process I am so keen on getting it back and then I can't have the follow-up CT scan to see the damage Mm. which I'm meant to have within six weeks because I get another chest infection so it's almost like now here there's a knock the difference is that time I was in a completely different state of mind it was like that's fine 
I can get over this. I just beat pneumonia. I can get over the second infection. No problem. Mm. And, and it didn't go as bad. And then I did go on to have the CT scan and all the other tests. But it's almost like you get teased with a knock. And I think people find this hard, don't they? When they're trying to make a change, it's almost like you get back up and then you get a little bit knocked down before mm. you can really get up. Yeah. What, what? All right. So once again, I mean, I'm going to keep pulling you back because I really want to tease out. I, I love to try and decode what's just happened because then it's teachable. Mm-hmm. right it's teachable yeah and people but, can use it right more often than not we make these big vague and big jumps like we're making you're making some big jumps in your journey here and i think we're missing out as an audience oh, on some okay. of the things that, <laughs> that actually right because you've already got i was you know so now i was in a different mindset how comes mm. what has happened yeah, to no, get you in a different mindset for the second knock then not the first you know that that's the stuff that intrigues me because now okay. i can learn something i can tell you that i can right. tell you now, that. hang on a second okay so we we know that we know that from a, a scare point of view or scarf point of view to use day rock we, we got lots of ticks over here okay lots and lots of ticks and and as i say that gives a foundation if you like a strong foundation that can get you up and get you doing and you know as you say is you there's a sense of achievement there's a sense of success there's a sense of adding value and, and making a difference in what you're doing right and then you know then we start this journey this middle piece here where you're going through a transition now where now you know you're becoming a mum so that that label wasn't there before. That label is there now. Now, now I'm a mum. Okay, um, first kind of like start start the, the, the shift. Now, you, when 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 you had the, the first child, was that where then the depression started to come in, or you started to feel, you know, different, i.e., worse than you were feeling when you were working? Yeah, so I definitely, and I was in denial at that point. So I had definitely was experiencing depression and I believed that I could just get back on track. I was pretty invincible. Um, It wasn't a consciousness, it was conscious decision, but I don't suppose I necessarily planned on having my first two children that close together. I was advised to because I'd had surgery previously because I had endometriosis and polycystic ovaries, had quite extensive surgery Mm. that there was a chance of not being able to have a second child if I didn't have, if I didn't proceed to try and for a next child quite quickly. Wow. So everything was going very fast. So if you imagine for me, it was like, um, like I, I had, I'd had surgery before I got pregnant with my first child. Mm. They were, I'd been told that something like IVF would not work for me because that usually happens with things like unexplained fertility. They'd removed all this endometriosis. So I think my life is moving too fast at this point, or it feels like looking back. Mm. And so after I have the surgery and they've cut everything out, they're like, right, your next six months is your best chance to have a baby. So you need to have a baby now. And I'm like, okay. And then I was at the at that point, there was uncertainty, like we're talking about here, because it was like, might I never have a child? Like, mm. what, you know, how will that? And I cope with that. And then it was like, well... I'm just going to try and see what happens and then became pregnant very quickly within a month after the operation. Mm. So then they, there was a concern. It was ectopic and that pregnancy, I was taken to hospital a few times. It, it was uncertain as to whether it would go ahead. So it was quite an anxious pregnancy. And then when I had my son, obviously then it was like, well, wait six months and then see if you can get pregnant again. And then obviously I did like really quickly. So my life was moving at a really rapid pace at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So how in control did you feel? Well, I felt blessed because obviously I didn't know if I could have kids and there I was now pregnant with my second, Yeah. but it did feel fast and I was struggling emotionally. So 
I had never done any self-care work at all before. Mm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And and I believe this like if you do the life of a lawyer. And I yeah. believe that if you don't make time for self-care, you will make time for disease care. I hundred percent stand behind that statement, right? Yeah. And that is what happened for me. I was brought up in a very strict Catholic family. So it was very religion based. So I had a big opposition to that. And I've since learned to distinguish religion from spirituality. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I didn't. So everything was logical, lawyer, achievement. You know what I mean? A different, I was quite a different person, I guess, in many respects. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and so that's why I say now you're starting to go through this transition period. And by the way, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the one that came up with the grief curve, the original piece of research. Denial is the first thing you hit. We've been, you know, denial is part of coping mechanism. It helps us oh, cope. Yeah, so I did deny first. Yeah, yeah. So, so typically we deny first. Now, what happens is rather than going down, we go up a little bit because we're in denial. Mm. Now, yes, now, I re- did. now, really, we should be down here at this point, but we're not. So you can imagine what happens when we get through denial. We can be a very fast drop, and then that's interesting, isn't yeah. it, for people listening? Yeah, that is exactly what happened with me. Yeah. So I had somebody after my second child, it was a maternity nurse, say uh, she came to help me because I wasn't getting much sleep. And she Mm. said, uh, I think you've got postnatal depression. I just want to put it out there. I think you should speak to someone. Yeah. I do not have postnatal depression was my (laughs) reaction. (laughs) Absolutely do not. I've been through this before. And she was like, I'm I'm sorry to say this, Angela, but I've worked. She's quite a famous author that came to me. She said, I've worked with a lot of people and I've even had to have this conversation with GPs. Mm. I have someone you could speak to. I do think you should speak to them. Mm. Now, what did I do, Colin? This will make you laugh. I was like, okay, I'll have a conversation, right? All I did was prep myself for the answers and do it. So I get on this phone call with someone. She's like, how do you feel like this? Absolutely fine. How do you feel you're coping with this? Completely fine. I don't know what Alison's talking about. <laughs> she was like, you don't sound depressed to me. And that's exactly what happened, as you say. So I had this buoyancy thing where I was like, no, I'm coping, I'm fine. And then about three months later, my husband took a week off work just to spend with the kids at home. And I couldn't get out of bed till three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then I denied again. I was like, what the hell is going on, right? Mm-hmm. I must have iron deficiency I've had that before so I called up the GP and said we need to run some bloods <laughs> typical lawyer I'll tell the doctor what to do so <laughs> we need to run some bloods I think I've got anemia or something like that and she, on the phone she was like listening to all the symptoms of this she was like I'm I'm gonna run some bloods but I don't think that's what you have at all she mm. said I just gently want to tell you I think this is what you have mm. can't possibly be don't be ridiculous two months later by this point I was sh- like shaking in the GP's office, literally just unable to even hold myself together. Yeah. My whole body was shaking and he like begged me and just said, please, will you let me treat you? I just like, we can't see this anymore. Mm. But I did do that, yeah, denial. Denial, yeah. I'm sure many people are doing now, right? Yeah. It's a coping mechanism. It's, a, it's part coping mechanism. It helps us cope with this unexpected and unwanted uh, that's happened because uh, that's often what triggers us off, right? An unexpected and unwanted and unliked <laughs> event. And this is what we're all going through with the pandemic, right? It, it was an unexpected and unwanted. No one go, oh, I want an amp- I want a pandemic, please. That'd be fantastic. No one <laughs> last thing that we want. But here, but here we are. Now, if we if we just go over here a second, then you, you know, in your current 
role and everything that you're doing, the podcast, the impact that you're having, the people that you're working with, the business that you've created for yourself, right? So for that over here, right? So from lawyer to here, let's quickly just go through, just real quick through scare or scarf. And let's just have a quick chat about that. So if we go status right now, you know, status, what score, let's say out of 10, would you give yourself for status right now? Is 10 the highest? 10 highest. Seven, six or seven. All right, so it's quite high, quite high. What about certainty, the ability to predict, you know, your future and anticipate change in your business, what you want to do, how you want to grow it, how who you want to impact and stuff like that? What would you score that mm, Yeah, probably around a seven, it, but it's been a huge learning curve to get there. Yeah. Because obviously it was a completely different field. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. So we're, we're just at the moment, we're here and here, that's all, okay? So we're not, doing, not necessarily talking too much about this. What about autonomy? This is a sense um, of control over the decisions that you Very make. Very autonomous. So 10 out of 10? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, relatedness now. The tribe that you're in, the sense of belonging of the people that you're around um, in that tribe. Um, le- a much lower score, I would say, mm-hmm. because um, there's less events on. I get to see less people. And to be honest, different from law, you're around people all the time. The world of entrepreneurialism is actually extremely lonely. Mm. So that would be Can low. Be, yeah. Can yeah, be. that would be very, low. Very low. So what score? Uh, that would be a four. Four. Okay. What was it when you were a lawyer? Oh, eight or nine. Eight or nine. Right. Okay. So we've dropped down on that one. Um, fairness. I don't know how you want to how you want to score that one. You know, how, sense of fairness as a lawyer. Sense of fairness as a um, you know, a top health and well-being coach. Hmm. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how to score that. Mm. Okay. All right. So, so out, out of lawyer and then, so you can see that, you know, there's bits here, but this relatedness, by the way, versus relatedness over here, is the pandemic having anything to do with that score? The fact that you can't be eyeballing people out with people, seeing people, attending yeah, conferences, attending. I guess so. Yeah, I guess so, because I am very much a people person. Mm. So I and I definitely have get energy from other people as well. I do like my own time, um, yeah. but I do get energy from other people. I think that I love connecting with people. I still um it might not be as low as that. I have a lot of connection and I spend a lot of time connecting with people that yeah. follow me and enjoy my work. Like people like people that DM me will know that. It might take me a while, but I'll go back to everyone. I enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so recalibration, what score? So on relatedness, yeah, I suppose it is a bit higher than no, it's probably more like a five or six. Five or six. All right, so yeah. a little bit lower. Okay. So, you know, you're not far off now in terms of what lawyer was giving you versus what you're giving now. But of course, the lifestyle that goes around that versus the lifestyle that goes around that. <laughs> very different. <is> very, very <laughs> different, right? Extremely different. Yes. Extremely different. Out of interest. You know, you said over here with relatedness that, you know, you were, you know, you were in amongst a load of others that thought the same way and you understood each other and stuff like that. How many of them are you still in touch with? Not that many. Everyone went different ways. And a lot of, and if I, this is the biggest thing that guides me parenting a daughter is to try and figure out how I can help her do something that works with when she has a family, because mm. everyone went in different directions. Ultimately, yeah. I think I don't have any I do have two female friends actually who are still practicing as lawyers yeah yeah out of a big group 
Yeah. And that's also part of the grieving. You're leaving a tribe that you felt safe in, you know, you knew who you knew them, they knew you, they understood you, you leave, you're leaving that. It takes a while to build a new tribe where you get that same sense of, um, you know, it's the same as a female that leaves industry or business to become uh, a mum and, you know, then then you start meeting other mums that, you know, understand what it's like to have a baby that's not sleeping all night. And, you know, and not not, you know, not everyone over here is going to understand that. But everyone here understands it because they've all got babies like us. You know, we all can speak in the same language. So you get another sense of belonging. That doesn't mean that you don't want to get back there or you want to do something else. Um, but that and it's so important. I mean, we're social beings by nature. This is why socially distancing, I think, is such a bad term. Um, we want to be socially connected and physically distanced. You know, whoever come up with that, set that wrong. Um, socially distancing is dangerous for us as social beings. We need to be connected. It's so important. Um, in in, in um, neuroscience, you know, and actually, about, an interesting on that, like the oxytocin that is released through, that's what I was just about uh, to say, yeah, actually. is cardiovascularly protective. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, so yeah. you know, it's good for us at a chemical level. At the chemical level, it's important. You know, so the, you know, the happy, happy chemicals dose, right? Um, so serotonin, very important, of course. Um, dopamine, very important. Oxytocin, very important. So. You, that oxytocin is so so important, but yet we're probably not getting as much of it now as as we were as we were getting before, simply because we are that little bit more physically distanced from those that we care and those that we love. I you know I can't get to see my mum at the moment, and um, you know that's I definitely don't want to meet my mum. I have an oxytocin hit, and she has an oxytocin hit. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a consequence of just saying, "Hey, you can see mum." Can't see her, you know, and she's yeah. she's in her eighties, so. Uh, you know, yeah, I feel also, that as well with yeah, my exactly. parents, and a lot of people will be. I mean, we won't be we won't be on our own with that one. A lot of people will be worried about you know their parents and what this can mean and all that sort of stuff. And that. So, so There's now we've lot, got this. Can I ask you quickly? There's yeah. a lot of people at the moment, I think, who are actually having to shift. Like I was, I was looking at somebody who um, it was he was in the paper and how he'd like gone from I forget what his original job was but he'd now had to change completely and become like a decorator or something. And he'd gone mm. through all these transitions and creating this new self. And it really struck me there because I was saying to you how my default mindset has always, I've always got to kind of still ever since have had depression. And I was told it was because you create these neural pathways, mm. kind of move from that default and develop this, like, actually, I'm okay. I'm positive. I can do this. And what struck me there is that when somebody is trying to create something new, which a lot of people are doing, it mm. takes an extraordinary amount of effort mm. because what you are having to do is what Joe Dispenza talks about, which is envision a new life and a new self, right? And that's what I had to do because the lawyer had to go and now I was becoming someone completely different that's focused on health optimization for high performance. That's it. That's my sole focus. And so you ha I had to create this new self. And I guess maybe that's why it's not legacy depression, but it was on that journey is to, that takes an extraordinary amount of effort is what I'm saying, isn't yeah, it? It's, that, it's energy. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you have to think, you have to think deeply about some of these things in order to, but you know, there was a period of time before you started doing that. Right. Um, and as we were talking before we got on here, if you use going from a caterpillar to a butterfly, there's this period of time where it's cocooned in the crystal. And, and if you open that, it's yellow mush. It doesn't mm -hmm. resemble a caterpillar. It doesn't resemble a butterfly. 
it's yellow mush. And sometimes that's our life, it's yellow mush. And I think the ability to accept that this is part of a process that I'm going through, that things aren't going to make sense. And it's not my job at the moment to try and make sense of things. That's not my job because it's, it's not, it's not, you can't make sense of that. Doesn't This it, is what, my, what Robin Sharma calls the messy middle. So messy he's middle, like right. all, um, what is it? All, all achievements are difficult at first, messy in the middle and beautiful or gorgeous at the end or something. Mm, yeah. And it is, but that messy middle, lots of people are in the messy middle and yeah. it's hard, isn't it? Because it feels quite foggy and you can't see, you can't see the sky clearing and where it is, but there's always darkness before the dawn. Correct. And, and so the more that we can accept versus fight, the more we can allow versus, you know, struggle, the quicker we can get through it. And there's, that's what you went through in effect. You went through that whilst, you know, you were having the, your children um, and it is a messy middle and it's part and parcel of a transition. Every transition doesn't matter. Um, it's part of it. Um, now, are there some things that we can do to help? Yes, of course. If we grab pen and paper and start thinking a little bit about who do I want to be? What do I want to create? What kind of lifestyle do I want? That can help for sure because we're starting to ask certain questions. Um, and there's that, you know, one psychological truth where focus goes, energy grows, right? That's a psychological truth where focus goes, energy grows. So if I can put my focus on what it is that I want to create, what I want to build for myself, who I want to become, what kind of lifestyle, then where focus goes, energy grows. It, it will cause a slightly better feeling because I feel like that I'm, you want to take certainty. I'm starting to get us create this future for myself, autonomy. I'm starting to make some decisions for myself. Then I start getting myself in a slightly different tribe. You know, individuals that are thinking similar, like you've got that doctor in first, that doctor will probably have said a few things to you that, and then you start looking for something else and you start pulling a different tribe around you now of like-minded individuals think the same, act the same, talk the same, you know, understand. And that gives that sort of that relatedness. Um, so there are things that we can do for sure, um, as well as also we're not berating ourselves, beating ourselves up, staying in denial um, and all the things that get in the way of going through the, you know, the, the messy. Yeah, now that's interesting, isn't it? For a lot of women, I think, because women beat themselves up. I've noticed men seem to have this sort of infallible confidence, that, <laughs> you know, that they... Uh, I'm not saying that they think they're better than they are, but I think women beat themselves up, right? And so obviously in that scenario, when I was depressed, it was like, I, I felt like the worst mother. I don't want to be here, even though that was not my kids and parents and, and husband's perception of me as a mother at all. No. Um, but I did feel like that. Now, a lot of people, when they are in a difficult scenario, the first thing they'll do is beat themselves up because yes, you need to have lessons, don't you? And think, well, could I have done something differently that would have in any way prevented it or made it better? Mm. I think particularly among women, and I don't want to be sexist here, but I do think that we tend to then go, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done it like that. Why didn't I do this? How do people still get the lessons, but not beat themselves up? Because it's counterproductive, isn't it? Once you start going down that road. Cool. All right. A couple of things. First thing, I think, um, with what you're saying in terms of men, male versus female. Um, and I have coached a lot of very senior men running very big businesses, the same as females as well. I think the difference is men do experience, we know we call it imposter syndrome. They just don't admit it. <laughs> females experience it. 
and admit it. <laughs> That's one of the differences. Okay? okay. So I could point you in the direction of a few people now that I've coached running very, very big businesses that have had imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, by the way, is um, you know, well-documented. And often it's because when you look around you, you are different in some way to someone. So for instance, you know, very senior person running a, well, CEO running a very big business. Um, but when he looked around the Exco, um, he went to a, to a public school. All of them went to a private school. So he never thought he was as smart as them. Mm-hmm. So he felt an imposter. So there's always, it's, you know, I mean, an imposter in this situation because of, if ever we have it, it's because of, it's because of, she's a better mum than me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a better dad than me. I feel like an imposter because, and then what's the because, right? What's the because? So, so I think that, you know, I think men and men and women experience imposter syndrome. Females are more happy to admit it. Men don't. And so we think they don't, but they do. Uh, they absolutely do. In those private conversations I've had where someone opens up often. Now, of course, you'll always find exceptions to the rule for, for, for sure. Um, so, now, going back to your, your question, um, if we take the brain, um, this is, uh, say, negative here and positive here, and this is the halfway line, our brain sits over on this negative side, right? It's called negative bias. We have a negative bias. It means that we're much, much quicker. That's why the news is so popular, right? We love the news. Why? Because it's mainly negative. It fits our bias, uh, you know, imagine if the news was only positive and happy, you know, negative news travels seven times faster than positive news. We'll tell negative stories much quicker. You give me bad service. I'll tell seven people. You give me good service. I'll tell one, you know, uh, that's just the way that we are. Now, if that's the case, in other words, this is a survival mechanism, not a happiness mechanism. It's designed to survive. We have to then work a bit on keeping ourselves on the positive side. And I think one of the most simple things, and there's lots of research and you can come at it from different angles, sometimes called gratitude, but just paying attention to wins and successes and achievements and things done well and strengths can make such a big difference. We are so quick to talk about our shortfalls. Mm. you know, our limits, our labels, our lacks, but we're not so quick to talk about our, so just the discipline of finishing the day um, with a few thinking about what, what successes have I had today? So in um, behavioral economics, it's called peak end heuristic, peak end heuristic. Um, and what this is showing is that this memory of ours is a sneaky critter. So we don't remember everything. So you don't remember the whole day. What you do is you remember peak, peaks, peak emotions, negative or, or, and ends. You remember ends. So if I have, you know, a day that goes like this, you know, positive, positive, not so good, positive, not so good, positive, positive, really bad. And then that's three o'clock and I finish at five o'clock and I meet you at five o'clock um, on a Zoom call and you say, how was your day? Well, I'm probably going to say, shit, you won't believe what happened. And I'm going to talk about that thing that happened, you know, at three o'clock. Why? Because it's the last thing and it was a very strong emotion. Now that's not true. That's, that's nowhere near true. Yeah. That's a massive generalization. How's your day? Shit day. Absolutely shit day. You wouldn't believe what happened. This client and off I go. Right. So, um, peak end heuristic, peak end heuristic. So, we can 
we can play that trick. In other words, what the brain does is it only filters out all the experience and gets it down to the peak and the end and that's it. So one of the little tricks that we can play on ourselves and uh, Martin Seligman, the grandfather of positive psychology has done lots of research. You can read it all in this book, Flourish, um, lots of research around gratitude is just at the end of the day, just think about three good things that have happened today. Mm, three good I things. Do this. Yeah. This, this has changed my life. And yeah. I do the questions that you're talking about there as well. So I yeah. like the five minute journal because it gives me prompts. So it makes it super easy. And it's got a stoic or other quote in the morning. Yeah. And so then it's like, what am I grateful for? Yeah. Um, and then what would make today amazing? Like what yeah. three things? So then I can actually visualize and plan my day. Yeah. The next question is then an affirmation. So I am. So then you're kind of future pacing yourself. And then at the end of the day, and I think this is the bit that a lot of people fall down on, but has been the most impactful part is doing, as you say, is then to say, what three amazing things happened today? And sometimes you have got to dig harder. I'm not saying like, but there are always three good things, right? Even if it just happened to be that you sat quietly and had a cup of coffee, there is always something good that happened. Um, and then what could have made today even better? Mm -hmm. That puts me in a great frame of mind before I go to bed because I'm already shaping my next day. Yep. And obviously, good days turn into good weeks, turn into good months, turn into good years, don't they? They do. And, and if you think about that, they're all questions. And what do mm. we say? Where focus goes, energy grows. What's the controller of focus? Questions. Yes. Right. So when you ask good questions, you drive the brain to work for you in a better way. Mm. And so questions are really the answer. Good questions are really the answer. A coach asks good questions, right? A book like that takes you through a good questioning process, gets you to rethink um, that in a way that you weren't thinking before. So that's why, you know, seeking good questions, looking out for good questions, capturing good questions, using good questions is a smart thing to do because the quickest way out, if, if, if focus goes, energy grows, and my energy is low, focus goes, right? I've got to change my focus. What's a better question? What question mm. can I ask myself right now to shift my energy into a, into a better place? And one of those is just what's three good things that have happened today. And as you mm. rightly say, they don't have to be big. You know, the research shows they don't have to be big. They can be small. But if you think what's happened and why did it happen? You know, my daughter came in with a picture she drew, drew for me um, because she wanted to give me, um, you know, something nice. That, not don't have to be big and if you pay attention the the challenge is is that the brain doesn't typically do that right it remembers all the crap of the day it doesn't remember those tiny moments of goodness mm. they're there they are there but you know god just walking out this morning and just i went out for a walk and just listened to the birds that were just coming out and singing good morning everyone i just little tiny things that i can write that tonight you know listening to the birds singing to me you know little things that's all it has to be but the the, the ritual the practice the discipline of doing it is really what makes the difference. Um, and it doesn't, you know, many of the things that help us the most in times like this don't take very long. <laughs> they're not like no, they're things they that take a long time, uh, but they require us to do them. You know, they do require us. The consistency, to, isn't it? it and is, it's almost it like the universe rewards you for showing up and having a practice. But yeah. with discipline, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because not everybody, and maybe in our next um in our next podcast together, we can dive into this in a bit more detail. But I guess some people do really struggle with discipline. Like they, you know, and I, I found, I don't know whether you um, have found this, but I found Stephen Pressfield's work really, really impactful for me in this regard. And this concept of turning pro, that's just for me really helpful because it's like, 
once you make the decision to turn pro, you can't let yourself down anymore because mm. the athlete shows up to the training session, whether they feel like it or not. The mm. athlete fuels their body in a way that helps them perform better, whether they feel like it or not. The athlete recovers because recovery is so much more important in a way to your performance than, than stressing or as important. They make sure they do their recovery. They make sure they prioritize sleep and align with their circadian rhythm and go to bed on time because they've turned pro. Whereas the amateur says, I'll do it tomorrow. Um, or I don't feel like it, or I should do that, right? As Tony Robbins says, you always start, you start shooting all over yourself. Um, and I think that was, I don't know if you have anything to add there in that regard, Colin, but I think that for me, because when you're guided by that decision where I've decided to turn pro, then it's like, well, how can I be? You start to have labels. It's like, how can I be the best mother? Obviously, I don't believe I'm the best mother in the world, but it's like that requires me to have full presence with my children because if I'm distracted when I'm with them, and I think sometimes those things help, right? So when I walk out, when we've recorded this podcast and I go back to homeschooling my daughter, I, I can't be on my laptop at the same time as doing that. I've got to be present with her mm. or it doesn't work. Mm. I don't know what you've found, but I know some people do really genuinely find discipline difficult. Uh, yes. Okay. Discipline is anywhere between having one's teeth drilled and chronic diarrhea, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's a word that's never used <laughs> in any marketing. You know what I mean? You know, you don't yeah, see marketing. What's it going to take for you to lose weight? Discipline. Oh, sod exactly. that. I'm not doing that yeah. one. What's this one over here? We're basically just show me the fit body. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> see what I want. Yeah. Not exercise and lose weight. Um, you know, a brain will go for path of least resistance always. That's its natural indication. What's the path of least resistance? Well, least resistance, eat the cookies. <laughs> um, least resistance. So, uh, look, I think we should um, maybe I've got lots on this uh, because even with Stephen's work, there's I, I think it's still it's still missing big elements of mm. why an athlete turns up. It isn't just because they've made a decision to go pro. It isn't. It's okay. the dream, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's yeah. not even that. It's not, it's even, not even that. that. No, yeah. it's not even that. There's other things going on. So rather than rush that now. Let's do a separate one. Let's do the next podcast on what I found in that case that when, and I can use you as an example again, when you start digging a little bit deeper, um, I'm going to leave you with just this little story, which will set it up quite nicely and we'll maybe do it again. Um, and it's, it's a joke that's told of a drunk that is below uh, a street lamp, you know, darkness of the night, he's below a street, he's on his hands and knees looking around and a policeman comes over and stops and says to him, so what, what, what are you doing? And, and he's, well, I'm, I dropped my keys and I'm, I can't find my keys. I need to find my keys. Now the policeman thinks, Christ almighty, he's drunk. I don't want him driving. I better help him find these keys, right? So he goes on his hands and knees. He's looking around with him now. Five minutes later, he says, are you sure you dropped the keys here? And the drunk goes, no, no, I didn't drop them here. I dropped them over there. And the policeman kind of says, well, why the hell are we looking here? And he says, well, there's light here. There's no light over there. We'll never find them. And, and, you know, that's that kind of, and what's the point? Well, it's called the street land perfect. We typically look where we can see. Mm. And I think, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Stephen's work, but, but there's too much what we can see. There isn't what's in the darkness. Mm. What I want to share with you next time we go together, well, what's in the darkness? We need to look where we're not looking. We need to look where we're blind. We need to look in that space to get a closer truth to how an athlete still shows up. It is not, it is not just down to, I've now decided to be a pro. There's a part of that. 
Mm. Absolutely. Is that important? Yes, it is. Is it a component? Yes, it is. It's not the total. You can have that and still not show up. Yeah. And still also why up. some succeed, right? Why, why is it there's succeed. only 2% yeah. of people or something that are yeah. the most successful in the world and how do they get there? Exactly. So when we get our next podcast, let's go into that in a little bit of detail, more detail as to what's actually going on there so that we get the full picture. We, we illuminate that that's in darkness so that we can see really what's going on and what we need to put in place to make sure we do what we say we're going to do. We make a promise and we keep the promise. Often we make promises and break promises, number of reasons why. And it isn't just down to character, me and stuff like that. There's other factors at play. But let's do it on the next one. Let's do it on the next one. And in the meantime, I'd encourage everyone listening to go and have a look at Colin's blog on www.colinhiles.com, um, which talks about all your learnings in your year off that you took with mm. no TV, no news, right. uh, no contact with the outside world, apart from with your two boys and your wife on a yeah. Spanish island, yeah. um, which I think people can learn a lot from the lessons there. Um, <laughs> so thanks, Colin. Thank you. Um, thanks for using me. I feel a little bit... Uh, a little bit naked, <laughs> despite wearing clothes, a little bit exposed, but um, hopefully this might help and inspire some people. Fantastic. Thanks for having me and I'll see you on the next one. I will see you on the next one and we'll dive into how you really become that athlete. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the High Performance Health Podcast. I will be linking to everything we spoke about today and all of the resources and the show notes will be over on my website, www.angelafosterperformance.com forward slash podcast. And um, a few people actually have been telling me about how they often have to stop or, or come back after a run and kind of note down some notes after listening to the episode. So just to let you know that you can actually find the transcript for all of the recent episodes on my website at AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast. And in fact, there's even a way that you can actually listen there on your desktop and watch the transcript as you listen. So that might actually help you. I also have a good summary with links to um, any of the kind of experts or different things that we've discussed. So you can find them all over there on my website. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for part two with Colin coming in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.